0: Buzzer Podcast, all music. Worldwide music started in local music scenes. Underground, independent, unsigned talent. Music you choose to hear, not the music mainstream tells you to hear. Hosted by Shay, the Buzzer Podcast is a Canadian broadcast connected to artists around the globe.
1: Hey, y'all, Shay here. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Singer, songwriter, poet, painter, rule breaker, game changer. He pushed the boundaries, blurred the lines, held up a mirror, and reflected to us the state of our culture, our world, and ourselves. The irreplaceable trailblazer, David Bowie, helped define our universe through his music. Welcome to the sound and vision of David Bowie from Toronto. Band members Kevin Connolly and Alexander Sasha Tukach are joining us. Kevin and Sasha. Are founding members of the band Heroes. Kevin is the frontman and lead vocalist for Canadian-based Life on Mars project celebrating the music of David Bowie. Sasha is on drum. Established in 2004, Toronto, Canada-based Life on Mars presents the genius of Bowie across the decades. Life on Mars is not an imitation of Bowie, but an emulation of his music and a celebration of his spirit. The show is backed by the incomparable Heroes Band. Jack Spann will be joining us today as well. Jack Spann is a singer-songwriter and master keyboardist pianist out of New York, United States. We feature tracks from his 2017 album, Beautiful Man from Mars, A Nod to Bowie. Today in episode two, we're back with Kevin, Sasha, and Jack. We have a bit of trivia on the show. We're talking about David Bowie's alter egos and the effect it has, continuing with the influences that David Bowie had on society, and in particular their music and views. We're going to start the show with a track from The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars review, Ziggy Stardust. In 1972, Bowie emerged as Ziggy Stardust, a character biographer Peter Duquette had described as the perfect rock and roll star male and female, king and queen, alien and human, transcendental and sublime. And when we come back, starting the show, we'll talk about David Bowie's alter egos. Now we spin Ziggy Stardust. Enjoy the show.
2: guitar, jamming good with weed and healing. And the spiders from Mars, We played in left hand, but made it too far. Became the special man that we were sick as Japan, you could look him by smiling, you could leave him to high. Came on, out loud, it man, oh, all on the snow white sand.
1: We're back again with Kevin, Sasha, and Jack, and we're talking about David Bowie. Everybody knows Ziggy Stardust, but Bowie had many different alter egos over the years, including Major Tom, Aladdin Sane, and the Thin White Duke. All of his alter egos took a toll on Bowie, but none more than Ziggy Stardust. Does anybody have any thoughts on the alter eagles and its effects on David Bowie? And what about the Thin White Duke?
3: Yeah, that went along with the uh, Station to Station um That uh, particular that particular uh, persona, uh, which was actually as I uh, meant to be uh, uh, abrasive, and uh, and uh, I think that was a time where. Uh, David, uh, pretended to embrace fascism, right. which of course made more than a few waves. Um, whether it was, that was part of the persona, who knows, but that particular character, uh, did certainly make some waves. Um, the, one of the things like I, my personal favorite, uh, Bowie album is, uh, is Scary Monsters.
1: Okay. Interesting.
3: It's uh, to me, it's the Sergeant Pepper of, uh, of David's collection. And uh,
0: I agree. I mean, it's,
3: you know. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, Jack. It's, it, but, but one of the, what, what I was going to say was, was it was the first time uh, that David ever regurgitated, um, but very cleverly, uh, uh, the character of Major Tom. Uh, from Space Oddity and the song Ashes to Ashes, uh, which I remember hearing, and it was the oddest thing. Uh, It was a number one hit uh, at the time. But what was happening at the time, what was all the rage, was uh, disco and discotheques, uh, which was not my thing when I was that age. But I had a girlfriend, you know, who cheerfully said, oh, come on, along, come on, you'll really like it. You know, so I went to a discotheque and I was like, oh God,
4: I have to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I have to leave yeah. now.
3: Um, <laughs> I probably should have been more open-minded, but I was at any rate, that's 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 neither here nor there. I changed my evil ways. But um so you'd hear you'd hear, I don't know, Tony Orlando or whatever. And then, you know, and and and, and the glowy balls are glowing and the lights are flashing and everybody's grooving out, and then ashes to ashes comes out. Wow. Wow. And it was like, okay, this is
4: trippy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's listen to Ashes to Ashes now from the 1980s Scary Monsters album, and then talk a bit more about the track when we return.
2: I started with no enemies of my own, I was an artiste in a tunnel, but I've been having a midi life crisis, and I've been dreaming of sleep, and ape men with metal parts i spat upon deeply felt age i hid my heart skin and i hate the holy colored english we'll creep together you and i for i know all the small friends are i think i've lost my way Oh
3: particular song uh, uh, you know is is one of my certainly one of my top 10 David songs favorite David songs uh, but uh, it cuts so coarsely across the grain of anything that was going on musically or artistically at the time it, it's 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 mind blowing that it would have been as popular as it was
0: the guitar the guitar, um, the guitar so. like be, just besides Bowie's brilliance like those guitar sounds were so unusual for the time it's, to a mainstream audience. Whatever, mm, whatever mm-hmm. Robert Tripp was doing and I remember just being blown away going, wow, wow, that is rock and roll. Like that is, mm. that's <laughs> crazy. And it all yeah. works. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I mean, similarly, uh, you, you know, Heroes, uh, it's, You know The song came out at the time It didn't really It was It was uh, A fairly You know A fairly long song Definitely for uh, Popular radio at the time Uh, Didn't do terribly well And then uh, Probably two decades later Was It it was almost Rediscovered by radio And actually became A systemic hit Uh, But Mm -hmm. one one of the Like what hooked me Other than David's performance And vocalizations Was Uh the the beautiful simplicity of of uh, Fripp's uh, guitar playing, and uh, Enos' production, uh, un- unbelievable, you know, just riveting, just take you out of time and space right on the spot. Well, me anyway. I
0: I always thought Tony Visconti produced Scary Monsters. Maybe I'm wrong.
3: Oh no, I could no, I was I wasn't uh, I, I okay, I'm I'm might be mangling this. I believe...
1: Uh, yes, Tony Visconti did produce that.
3: Yeah, but the, I was referring to the heroes. Oh, okay,
1: album. okay. Oh, oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I tried to say too much in one paragraph. So, confused everybody. Oh, bummer. But, yeah, I was referring to that one. But, uh, yeah, and nonetheless. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man, no worries. Uh, but, yeah, um, from heroes to... Uh, uh, to uh, scary monsters, I mean, what can I say that whole you know that whole 15, 20 year period of David's was brilliant more or less, but I just bookmarked my favorite album of David's. so that's what I think I know.
1: Well, I agree with you on that one, Kevin, and it's a good introduction into our next track, Heroes, released from the 1977 album Heroes you. You can be me
2: uh, uh, I'll drink all the time. Cause we're lovers.
4: And that is a fact. Mmm, yes, we're lovers.
2: And that is us. Though nothing We're driving away We can beat them
3: Just for one day We can
4: be heroes
3: Just for
2: one day What you
4: say, I said... (laughs)
2: Though nothing will keep us together We can still time Forever and ever We can hear us Just so after it What you stay
1: you guys up for trivia now? Yeah. All right. I made it pretty easy. So what I'm going to do is say lyrics from a song and guess the song or the album from which the song came about.
3: Oh, uh, I have no excuse for blowing
1: <laughs> I know, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <only teasing. laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. First one. I know when to go out and when to stay in. Get things done. I catch a paper boy. Fashion. Good God. Oh, no. no, Shoot.
3: Oh, Um, see, I already blew it. Uh, Modern love. Modern love. All right.
1: Yes. Modern love. Is that Jack? Yes. Okay, next one. Don't let me hear you saying life's taking you nowhere, angel. Come get up my baby.
0: Come on, Shay. You have to do something harder than that. <laughs> I'll do, all right. I'm. I'm sorry. The, I, let's just say Golden Years. And yeah, nice on. one.
1: Nice one. Please, nice one to shoot <laughs> the messenger, Jack. Nice one.
0: Please, please, please don't, please don't challenge me though, because I'm really bad okay, at okay. All
1: right. Next time, you have to do the album <laughs> as well. <laughs> Okay, in the villa of Ormond, in the villa of Ormond, stands a solitary candle. Is that your sash? Nobody has it. Yeah. Can you recite that one more time? Okay. Shay? In the villa of Ormond, in the villa of Ormond, stands a solitary candle.
0: I just have to say shay like I've only listened to this album a couple of times because it, it is kind of a heartbreak for me. Okay.
1: Nobody um, have it? Be, uh, I think Black I heard uh, star. Sasha Lazarus? say Blackstar. <laughs>
2: Sorry. I'm... Yeah, it's, it's Blackstar.
5: Black
0: Sasha
5: yeah. <laughs> for
1: the win! Woo-hoo! Yep, you're right. Black <laughs> star. <laughs> okay, next one. Sits like a man, but he smiles like a reptile. She love him, she love him, but just for a short while.
3: That'd be
0: Diamond ducks.
1: No, nope, right? not Diamond Dogs.
0: Oh, <laughs> we really need one of those like sound effects like that are either like ding, 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 or blue.
3: It smells like a reptile, just for sure. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And wait, wait. Wait, wait.
1: It's from the Aladdin Sane album.
3: Oh, I'm
1: just for sure.
3: Come on to me. Uh, they come.
1: Okay. The Gene Genie.
3: Oh, I've, I've only played that <laughs> song 200 times. I don't, don't
1: feel bad. I did just as bad when I did it myself. Okay. Time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. You pull on your finger, then another finger.
3: Ooh, ooh. Rock and roll suicide. Yes,
1: rock and roll suicide. <laughs>
3: yeah. All right. And I'm, I'm getting with the game here. Yeah, you right. are.
1: This one's really easy. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your Hamlet on.
0: Wait, mm. what, what's really funny is like oh, there are horrible. thousands of people listening to this podcast who probably don't know, like, the answer to that question. I'll just leave that there because...
3: Uh, well, they, they should know. They should know. So should we all say it together? Space Oddity? Space, space Oddity.
1: Okay, yep. Space Oddity, that's I right. we that in harmony. Okay, and this one. Didn't know what time it was, and the lights were low. I would leaned back on my radio.
3: Uh, not Panic in Detroit. It's off Aladdin's
0: scene. It's
1: Aladdin's scene.
0: Good. Could you sing
1: it? <laughs> I lean back on my range. That's what I'm, I'm doing, doing too. I'm like, it's, it's from and the down, album down. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars. Starman. Oh, oh, oh. Starman.
3: I've only played that 150 times. Don't
1: yes, <laughs> Kevin, you're right. And this one is from one of my favorite songs. She pulls in just behind the bridge. He lays her down. He frowns. Gee, my life's a funny thing. we well, yeah, just behind the bridge. Lays down, she frowns. Yeah,
4: yes. Young, yeah. Yep. <laughs>
3: young, young Americans. Young Americans.
1: Yay, yeah. young Americans. Okay, next one. So where were the spiders while the fly tried to break our balls with just the beer light that to guide so us?
3: Well, yeah, well, that would, of course, be Ziggy Stardust on the
1: spider Awesome. Chimars. That's right. Okay, the last right. one. I, I will be king and you, you will be queen, though so nothing will drive them away.
3: Uh, yes, of course, heroes.
1: Yes, heroes. You guys did pretty okay. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I thought it'd be great for a little break. Do you have any questions
5: to ask each other? Jack, did did, did, did David play any acoustic guitar
4: around
0: you? Um, when, when I was there, no. Um, there, there were, so this was at Electric Ladyland, um, which is a really awesome studio, but it's on the Lower East Side. Um, they had every instrument imaginable. The they had a Mellotron, 2 B3s. A, um, a, an old banged up upright piano and a, a new grand piano and like everything. And for and a rack of guitars, um, I imagine he probably picked one up at some point, but no, he did not play for me personally.
5: Did he sit next to you on the piano?
0: Bench? No, he didn't, but I did, I did sit next to him like on the couch while we were tracking and talking about tracks and, um, so I did get to sit.
5: Who had more? Who had more of a garlic aroma? You or him? <laughs>
0: I'm not. I'm not actually sure I ate that day, <laughs> on those days. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> although, although, I do have to relate to the story that David did buy lunch for everybody. Um, I take it it wasn't Harvey's. Or anything. No, it was from like this ordinary little deli down the street, some bodega on, on the Lower East Side. Um, <laughs> And when when I walked into the studio and David walked up, he's like, hello, Jack. It's nice to meet you. Like when he left the studio every day, like I wasn't there every day that he left. But when he did, he just walked out into the street. Like, and I'm pretty sure in his neighborhood, like that's what he did. Like he just walked around. He would go buy coffee, you know, he would buy a sandwich somewhere. And because it's New York City, like he wasn't, Accosted, you know, it's like everybody Mm -hmm. in New York City is like, oh, yeah, it's you're just another star, you know. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy in New York.
0: Are are, these were
5: uh union sessions? Um, Yes, oh man. And when I say union, I use that term like, well,
0: it it may mean a a different thing in Canada than it does here. Um, I, it, it wasn't a, a quote-unquote union session, um, but if, if I had actually made it onto the record, I'm sure there are like mechanisms that control like all those kind of rights and mechanical rights. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't a union session. Um, and I'm not really sure how that would work exactly, um, but, it, but it, it, it did pay handsomely. Like, it was a good wage for the amount of time that I put in
5: but you didn't have some sort of association rep show up to make sure that you were wearing mismatched socks. And <laughs> right. And I, I, was,
0: I was wondering about that. And, um, you know, basically they were like, don't worry about it. You know, like, you're taken care of. Like if, if this is a hit song, you'll, you'll be compensated. If it's not, you got compensated for today and thank you very much. Um, but no, it, it was it was remarkably casual. My experience was remarkably casual. Um, there were four musicians in the studio: Tony Visconti, me, Zach, and David, and one engineer, one assistant engineer, and then like some general, like studio intern, doing whatever studio interns.
5: So was he been the drummer? You, you and your drummer? I'm, I'm assuming you, you and the drummer. No, I mean, I buddies? haven't spoken
0: to him since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I actually, at one point, I emailed Tony Visconti, and he was like, yeah, don't, don't feel bad, because Zach didn't make the record, and I didn't make the record either. Um, you know, he didn't play bass on, on Black Star." No, it was a remarkably casual situation.
1: Jack, since so Josh just asking about the studio environment and how David Bowie was, why don't you tell that great story that you have?
0: Oh, the story when David Bowie told me yeah. to fuck off? Yeah,
1: that was a funny story, and I think people would love to hear it.
0: It, it is a good story. Um, so after four days of just kind of hanging out with this 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 person who is a genius genius, but also seemed to be like pretty much a regular guy like as i was leaving on the last day i stopped in front of him and said david i just wanted to say i know i haven't said anything but i really appreciate like all that you've done and you having me and you've been a major influence in my life and i just want to thank you and he's like fuck off jack (laughs) 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 and gave me a little smile like come on man you don't you don't have to do that like right. um, or 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 alterna- alternatively it could have been come on man i'm tired of hearing that from people you know no. like we're all <clears throat> we're all working to the same goal here we're just musicians like trying to do this thing um or he could have been telling me to actually fuck off i mean who knows but then i then i actually did hear this, the same story from dave grohl not that i didn't hear it personally but i i saw it in one of the magazines where like the the headline of the story was dave grohl relates the time david bowie told him to go fuck off like and it was kind of like the same the same kind of situation um mm-hmm where Dave had done some work for either Tony or, or, or Bowie. And, you know, Dave was like, Oh man, you're so great. And he was like, fuck off, Dave. (laughs) And I I think it's a great story. I, I, I think that is a great attitude to have. If people start to take their hero worshipers seriously, I think that's, that's a sign of trouble. I, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but.
3: Oh, I, I actually, I really do, actually, Jack. is. Um, I think he said it best when he said, you know, uh, the attitude being is that we're all just musicians. I mean, I remember a story about uh, Elvis Costello working with Paul McCartney, and uh, he was asked to co-write a few songs with Paul McCartney. And Elvis Costello was, uh, you know, very well-known even back then, uh, but he was as nervous as hell and you know he was trying to repress that fanboy urge you know like you know uh yeah you're working with the beetle right and he said he just kind of you know held his own for a while and then they just became you know two musicians working in the room together uh and the uh, you know respectful of course, but the the impulse to uh, to take that kind of uh, praise uh too too seriously is I can lead to bad places i would assume so i in other words, I agree with you completely jeff i i
5: can, I can uh recount uh Kevin you and I being on tour together uh, back in the eighties uh, and I know for myself, I'm pretty sure I witnessed it with you as well, that after the show, uh, running the gauntlet and, you know, having uh, young fans, let's call them uh, kids, uh, just being so out of control and, and, you know, like, oh, just anything, whether it's a lock of hair or a fringe off a jacket or anything, just, you know, ripping and and yarding on you. And it it really is like, fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> i don't mean to be an asshole but you know what it, it's just it's just music like stop it you know
4: yeah it's
3: i, I it's actually it's good that you brought that up sash because that was you know for years um you know i'd be walking down the street with my girlfriend and uh i was the lady who was dating at the time and uh and you, you know you get swarmed and they would be rude and push her out of the way and sometimes and sometimes they were just cool um but you know all sorts of stories of you know getting tackled to the ground and my manager at the time by a lady who was going to you know take me by the neck to some private place (laughs) really (laughs) people actually
1: do that oh my god God.
3: oh yeah 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 god um but it was an it, it was an early uh Early crash uh, lesson in, you know, as soon as, you know, they get past the glowy, glowy stuff is is to just start, you know, being the person with them, you know, and uh, and lay some stable ground. And sometimes actually they're disappointed. They want you to be the persona that you are on stage. Uh, And so you let them down. Uh, But it's better to do that. Than, uh, than to play the part of, uh, you know, I always say I used to say to young actors, the stage is a sacred place, you know. I, I, you can ask Sasha about this. I always show up to a show early. I walk around. I get a sense for this space, and I and I consider, you know, a performance, uh, be it theatrical or musical, to be in its own way quite magical, really, re- really almost mystical, uh, at least when it's at its best, but. When you walk off the stage, you are no longer that persona. You are just a person. And it's equally as important uh, with some people who can, I mean, to varying degrees, you know, uh, uh, just buy into your persona, hook, line and sinker and expect you to act that out in public. You know, should they meet you or should they? And, uh, you know, you have to, I guess, let them down easy. Uh, and I and I actually think of that as a responsibility uh, 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 of an entertainer, which is you know just be a person, you know and don't 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 play the part anymore. Leave it on the stage, you know. I you know, and uh, yeah, no, those were very. <laughs> Sasha, remember very very well. I'm sure too. They were very dramatic times uh, with respect to stories.
0: I also think it's it's really unhealthy mentally to be on all the time, like for, for a famous performer, for anyone, I mean, even if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're doing a cover band gig at the winery, like I am, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I I have to, I have to be on when I'm there, Um, but I want to turn it off right away. As as soon as that's over, I I just want to be like, you know, I want to have permission to say something dumb or, you yeah. know, to like do something stupid um, or to do something awkward because that's how I am in real life. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess Bowie, Bowie and John Lennon really epitomized that in the song Fame. Um,
4: mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: And it, it, it messes with you because for fear of, you know, doing something dumb or saying something stupid, uh, you modify your behavior, and then that becomes a habit, and it's just, it's a its a vicious cycle that is, uh, you know, before you know it, 10 years pass. We all know how quickly time passes, uh, and then you find yourself being this modified self, and it's its like, oh, what the hell happened?
4: Yeah, right,
1: right. Well, wow, thank you for sharing that.
5: Well, I'd like to share more stuff, but you told me to turn the video off, so uh, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: you know on that note I uh, we're going to listen to Fame from The Young Americans album released in 1975. <laughs>
0: I did want to mention, like, because we were just talking about heroes a moment ago, like, yeah. Um, and I, I'm always interested in like how an artist behaves with one producer as opposed to a different producer. And you know, Bowie had many producers and many really good ones and some pretty good ones. But the vocal recording of Heroes was like really innovative at the time. And I, Kevin or Sasha, maybe you guys know more about this than I do. But I'm pretty sure that, um, so Visconti put like a, so my understanding is that he had three microphones, like one right next to David, one in the next room, and one in the hallway. And he put a gate, he would put a gate on each microphone. So if he sang in between like say one and three, the front mic would be on if he sang in between you know four and seven the middle mic would be on and everything else above that the last mic would trigger on automatically so he had like this kind of gated system and I, I just wanted to mention that because i always thought that was just such a such a cool idea and may, you know maybe it's like what anybody would do if they had like lots of money and toys and, and trying to experiment, but I've never heard of anyone else yes, doing that. Yes, what
1: they used was vocal gating progression, and uh, Bowie's vocals were recorded after most of the session musicians had departed to Berlin. It was a recording technique to control volume. Three microphones were used to capture the vocals. Uh, one microphone was nine inches from Bowie, one twenty feet and one fifty feet away. Each microphone was muted as the next one was triggered. So as the music built, but we was forced to sing at increased volume to overcome the gating effect, leading to an increasingly impassioned vocal performance as the song progresses. It's incredible, it's incredible.
5: And it was for the lack of uh, use of reverb, right? So they used a natural uh, environment sound. Yeah. Which uh, you could hear uh, the power station, Bernard Edwards did that uh, with power station and and the drums uh, where they would record the drums in the studio and then reamp, mix the drums, run them through speakers, and then uh, put various mics throughout them so that they, and then gate them so that you could get that power station sound. Yeah.
0: Wow. Oh, it makes me want to open up my studio right now
5: and and i think it's it was at the time it was for lack of tracks i had read somewhere uh or for the lack of outboard processing where was that recorded that was in new york
1: in, in berlin.
5: berlin in berlin right well so then you can imagine that the blockheads probably although they had good russian technology they didn't have a lot of the blockheads being the brown shirts
1: yeah yeah they recorded it in berlin it was very innovative what they did Thank you for bringing that up, Jack.
0: Well, it's just, (laughs) it's something that I I remember, like my my friend, the the guy that I was telling you about who passed away last year, like was also an audio engineer. And he's the first one that ever pointed that out to me. And it took me a couple of years to actually, to understand like how innovative at the time it was, you know, like it was like someone had, you know, taken a, a primitive bow and arrow and made like, a sophisticated defense system out of it. I may be exaggerating a bit, but I just...
5: Not at all. And this is the problem that I I see with a lot of uh, today's technology and the musicians using it, is that we've become a preset uh, culture. Uh, You know, oh, go to 51, because that's, you know... uh, a roads with strings layered on it. It's like, oh, well, for Christ's sakes, can you not be a little bit more creative? I back in the early '80s, coming from you know when uh, MIDI was uh, first uh, getting its legs, there were programmers, there were keyboard programmers, there were drum programmers. Now it, it's just not the same. You know, there were synthesists that created sounds. Now not so much. I mean, there are still some. And I don't know, is that the musician's fault or is that uh, the companies that, that build the uh, gear? Is it is that the fault of, you know, uh, them that they made it so easily accessible? You have to go layers deep on a Yamaha DX7 to make it sound decent. But once you got in there, you know, or uh, Jupiter or a Juno 106 or a sequential wow. circuits, anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I had a Jupiter um, back in the day, and I remember just being able to, like, grab two knobs and make, like, 10,000 different sounds, you know, like, just by changing changing the frequency right. and, you know, the attack and... Yeah, well, I, I guess one you you brought up the DX7, which is like one of the early digital keyboards. Um, and I I had one of those too. I actually had it until just a couple of years ago. I I sold it to someone for more than I bought it for, which is really amazing. But um, wow. there there were no knobs on a DX7. You know, you had to you had to no. know how to program. You had you had to know like is it. What's the? Uh, you have to learn. Uh, pardon me. Yeah, yeah.
5: You have to learn, right? I mean, it was FM synthesis. It was like nothing we had uh, ever seen or heard of before.
0: It, it took um, it took that type of keyboard playing, like the Brian node type of synthesis, out of the the realm of like most people just being able to sit down and tweak a couple of knobs, right? Like like we just said all of a sudden you have to you really have to know how to program
5: we did a a song for the uh Mercuretto project and uh back to uh um miking of a voice and i had uh for the drum kit uh you know close mics on on everything on a contemporary drum kit and it was just i think it was for i am the coolest by alice cooper and uh it just, it didn't sound right. And it was like, what? Okay, how do, how are we going to approach this? How am I going to try and capture this drum kit? And lo and behold, what it took was getting an old uh, William Ludwig calfskin bass drum with a felt beater and uh, Ludwig, Ludwig Tom and some brushes and three microphones, you know, as opposed to everything closed mic. And all of a sudden, bah, there it was, it presented uh, but that—that's that experimentation, and uh, uh, well, luckily we were able—I uh, was able to grab back into history uh, and and the knowledge that other people uh, had given me. Right, like the, the the history of recording to find out how do you create that sound, that that elusive sound, and it's in part the instrument, but it's also in part the capturing of the
0: instrument. Yes. If I may go off on a tangent, like speaking about recording, we all seem to be roughly the same age. Um, So I don't know if you guys remember the Sub Dudes from, Um, you know, the the mid-90s. They were kind of a hot alternative rock band. Were Um, they American, Jack? Yeah, yeah, they were American. The the Sub Dudes. Um, I can't remember the name of their hit. They have several, you know, quote-unquote top 40 hits, and they didn't have a drummer. They had... He was a drummer but he only played like their stick was this guy played tambourine like and he got every sound imaginable from that tambourine yeah
5: they're playing in uh nyc
0: if, yeah it's it, i think it's the same band i played at um south by southwest in like 1990 something um and they were on the same bill as my band um and I just remember like watching that guy, I mean, it's a three piece band on stage, no drummer, you know, guitar, bass and a, and a tambourine player surrounded by, I don't know how many mics, you know, let's say five and with, with a very like close mic on the tambourine. And so you can go like, boom, boom, ooh, 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 and kind of make it sound like a drum set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Hope it's the same band. I, I hope I don't have a, the name of the band wrong. If, if, okay, cool, good. Yeah, because I remember seeing them and like, it was just like so, like, bloop, bloop, doo, bloop, bloop. just one person playing one tambourine.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Jack. We're coming up to a track that uh, you have uh, released. You're Oh Such a Woman, Mr. Sanders. From the album, You're Oh Such a Woman, Mr. Sanders. Uh, you released it in 2014. Want tell us a bit about that, track? I just figured you'd jump right in.
0: <laughs> Come on! I, I have a tendency to talk too much. So no, takes... you don't. No, you don't. I'm You're doing trying good, to John. temper my words. But yeah, so I, I think that song goes back to um, I had a job when I was in high school, Um, as like a basically like a bus boy mopping kitchens um, you know like catering carrying dishes whatever whatever had to be done for this catering company Um, the manager the the big boss guy of the catering and this is in the city of St. Louis so it's not the best neighborhood in the world and um, the manager of the catering company would come in quite often and I mean, looking back, it's obvious, like, he was gay then. Um, he was always very well-dressed, really good-looking man. Um, you know, like, I, I, there, is, <laughs> there is no way that you can characterize or stereo- stereotype anyone that is gay. There's, like, no one behavior. But I'm pretty sure this man was gay Like, and, you know, me being, like, 15 or 16 years old, I think I knew it and other people knew it, but it wasn't, like, spoken about openly. Um, Not back then. Um, Although, you know, maybe I was just too young and I didn't know. um, But I've always carried that image of this, this person, like, supremely confident, you know, really the boss, like, who has this sideline of being a drag queen um so yeah that's that's my spiel on the song
1: that's really cool and i can see why it should be included in our bowie night you're oh such a woman mr sanders by jack Spann.
2: And You've got a desk about as big as my bedroom Every pencil that you need you saved, oh, but
4: if old
2: man takes could only I see you, he would be rolling in his grave, about when the MC stepped up, said, folks, everybody welcome.
1: I love the track, Jack. (laughs) I have a weakness for your music. You know that. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, next we're going to be talking about Diamond Dogs, and I thought it'd be something great to bring up at this time uh, because Diamond Dogs uh, was an album that was influenced uh, by George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984. Uh, with Bowie playing the urban chaos of modern cities. And the album was credited with anticipating the wave of the punk movement, Uh, the political rock that the Iron Age Mystics put out, that both you, Kevin, and Sasha released with Pride Before the Paul. I see some parallels. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a cool, uh, segue point, uh, uh, shape. Um, the, the Iron Age Mystic song Thought Police, uh, was similarly, uh, I, I always, uh, say that it, it, it has an association to, uh, the Orwellian, um, 1984, uh, uh, book. Um, which I read twice, uh, but really it had more of an association to what was becoming an escalating uh, uh, threat in our times, which is uh, Uber surveillance and a surveillance society, uh, with all its uh, with all its bells and whistles and uh, and mendacity. Um, so um, the uh, I mean I. I to to you know try to create a, a a link between uh Iron Age Mystics thought police directly to uh Bowie's Diamond Dogs would be a bit of a stretch uh for me um but uh as far as anything that the Mystics uh, have put out uh I I definitely see the parallel that you're going for there Shay um, because topically, uh, uh, topically, they're they're very much on the same page.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. The album was also credited with anticipating the start of the wave of the punk movement.
3: Oh, Diamond Dogs! Yes, and...
1: Diamond Dogs.
3: Yeah, of course.
5: Um,
1: you know, I had actually, I, I, I have actually
3: never read a word on that. Shasta. so you're one up on me for sure. Uh, it doesn't surprise me it doesn't surprise me at all if you listen to uh, a great deal of the spoken dystopian uh, uh verbiage without even getting into the song diamond dogs uh it it has a very it has a very very punky flavor to it uh, so yeah without any real foreknowledge uh, you could be bang on
0: with that but I, ha- I haven't read that anywhere, personally.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, in my research, I did read that. What,
0: what, year, did, what year did Diamond Dogs come out? It was
1: 74.
0: Out? 74. Yeah, so definitely predated. Because if it came out that late, it would have predated the Sex Pistols and the Ramones, right? Or am I, do I have my timing off? No,
1: Ramones, 1974 out of Queens, and uh, Sex Pistols uh, about 1975. So it definitely had an influence.
5: But was that for his music or was it for his
1: art? It was his music that was credited thematically. uh, Diamond Dogs was a marriage between the novel 1984 by George Orwell And Bowie's own glam-tinned vision of the post-apocalyptic world. Bowie wanted to make a theatrical production of Orwell's book and uh, wasn't granted it by the authors' estates. They denied the rights. So the songs uh, wound up on the second half of Diamond Dogs. I remember, I remember people saying that they, they referred
0: to Bowie as the, the uh, grand, either the godfather or the grandfather of punk. Um. I, I, I guess, you know, the the art, like just the whole like, you know, I don't I don't have to answer to you to justify myself and I can be as crazy as I want. You know, which we, considering like what else was going on at the time, I, I don't even know. 1974. I mean, I'm thinking like Peter Frampton or Bob Seger or. Super Tramp or. You know seals and Croft or like all those bands, although they're really great, they're no Bowie, right like
3: well, just to kind of perhaps add to your point, Jack, is that if you consider an album like Lodger, particularly uh with with uh, every single song uh is pretty much very, very, very different than. The, the song that follows it and the song <gasps> that precedes it, but also too um, it's deliberately uh, terse and coarse and offbeat. And you'd almost think that the musicians, I mean, I, I know for a fact that one of the songs off that album boys keeps swinging, uh, Bowie had everybody play everybody else's wow. instruments. And that's why, yeah. Yeah. Everybody swapped instruments. And, uh, and it was to keep that raw or it was to create that that raw feeling throughout the album i mean that was only on one song but but the raw and outside and you know uh screaming in the microphone or not or go over here or don't do that or do that or you know and and this kind of always keeping you uh off center you know that that seemed mm. that seemed to be the thing and i and i, and I, I could see that as being inspirational if only for the punk movement, uh, if only uh, symbolically, because they the, uh, are inspirationally and symbolically, which is, well, you know, don't don't worry about you know you know hitting those uh, you know seventy thousand note licks in you know four point five bars, just crush it, just crush it. Turn up, turn up too loud, you know, and and so you can kind of. You know, you can kind of see that, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, perhaps, perhaps, I'm speculating a bit, but perhaps uh, that was inspirational to the punk movement as well. Not only just the artistic Mm. imaging that Sasha was talking about with uh, Diamond Dogs and uh, I guess to a lesser extent, perhaps even Aladdin's Sane.
0: I have a question. which may be controversial or maybe not. I wanted to ask Sasha or Kevin, um, what they thought of the second side of of the vinyl record low. I remember personally, like putting on, putting on low, listening to the first half, um, and then turning the record over. And, um, it was so different, you know, with the, the ambience and the, the synthesis and the lack of lyrics, and um, the first the, the the first side of low is like a party side, and the second side of low is all right. I'm I'm coming down from yeah. <laughs> like whatever whatever I took, like, and I need to chill out.
3: That's the, well, um, it honestly the one of the Bowie albums of that era that I was slower to warm to. Uh, then perhaps let low right you know I mean? and it was actually for that one very reason. Um, but to me, I think you know uh, and and then I picked it up and started spinning it quite a bit about uh, five or six years ago. But I think that in it in itself makes its own well, kind of punkish punkish statement in a way, mm. is is that okay, here's what is is cool and party, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now I'm just doing whatever the fuck I want, you know? And if I just feel like, you know, hanging on these two chords for, uh, you know, 12 bars, then I will. And I did see, and now it's on the other side of the album. So you can, (laughs) so you can dig it or you can, you know, which in itself has, you know, that kind of defiant, uh, alternative uh funky type
0: of attitude so so kevin i I take it you guys don't cover like speed of life or like
3: no we we no we we didn't didn't do speed of life in fact we pretty much left most of low alone or all of low alone Uh, although there was our our guitar player chuck brown is uh he he's all about the b-sides and uh, you know, I, Chuck and I have always gone along great, but the closest that we ever came to getting into, uh, uh, um, was he really, 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 really wanted to, uh, do songs, uh, do at least a track or two off low. And I, I would assume probably the, the side two, not side one. Uh, and at the time it didn't suit the direction for the show, um, which was to split the difference between the songs that are most popular, of course, uh, most recognizable, but also integrate uh, some of the more modern Bowie that recognizable, but not to the extent, of course, like a young Americans or modern love. Uh, So I, I kind of quietly kiboshed that.
0: I just remember like, I remember listening to the album low and like loving the first side and playing it over and over again. and you know, turning it over. And and it's like, Oh, come on, you guys. Like, this is, this is really good. But I, I I don't know. What's that song by the Beatles? That's like, it's an instrumental, I think from Abbey road. Uh, They almost have it. Do, 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 do. anyways I think it's the first song on Abbey Road and it's just like a really simple instrumental song and I always thought of the song Speed of Life which is the first song on low as kind of like Bowie's like Beatles song um, but it, it, uh, that's just me I mean I was obsessed with low at the time like I but not side two <laughs> just, <laughs> just just side one
1: I tend to agree with you, Jack. At times, Bowie put out a lot of different types of music uh, with different reactions from fans. We're going to be playing Diamond Dog next. The Diamond Dog's introduced us to Bowie's post Z Stardust persona, Halloween Jack. Uh, the quote in the song is, uh, the Halloween Jack is a real cool cat and he lives on top of Manhattan Chase. Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, and Diamond Dogs formed a glam rock trilogy. That theme kind of progresses from album to album. Ziggy was sort of all about a rock and roll messiah, bringing peace and love to the world, but being consumed by his own excess in the end. Aladdin Sane is sort of Ziggy's evil twin. Like it's risen from the ashes, but instead of representing all the wonderful Positive stuff about rock, it sort of represents all the nasty stuff. Drugs, the sex and the fury. And then there was Diamond Dog. That was about the aftermath. A world completely consumed by vices. Whoa, so much thinking. And now we're going to spin Diamond Dog. Enjoy. Cheers, all. I hope you enjoyed episode two. See you next show.
0: Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the Buzzer Network, sponsored by BuzzRoll Media. Thank you to the artists who share their music. Our shows wouldn't happen without their music. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter for showtimes and updates. Subscribe at thebuzzerpod.com. Fans and artists can submit their requests to Shay at thebuzzroll.com. Until next time, cheers.